was poured out in power and in demonstration. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, this Peter stood up, went out in front of everyone because when the Spirit of God came, it looked chaotic. When the Spirit of God came, they were in there, they were praying, they were seeking the Lord. And then when the Spirit of God came, they all got up. It says they looked like they were drunk. They were out in the street. And Peter said, look, guys, what you see is what Joel prophesied. This is the outpouring of the Spirit. So uh, in 1905, there was an African-American named William Seymour who got hungry for God. There was a move going on in America called the Holiness Movement where people were really consecrating themselves to the Lord and just pursuing God. And uh, William Seymour heard of Charles Parham. Most, if you study, if you've read any about the heroes of the faith and things like that, you know, Charles Parham, God had used him uh, mightily in healing and things like that. John G. Lake, F.F. Bosworth, all these men were around that same era. F.F. Bosworth wrote the book, Christ the Healer. It's probably one of the most detailed scriptural teachings in the world on healing. It's, on, it's really at a doctrinal level. Uh, T.L. Osborne wrote a book called Healing the Sick, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but he pretty much took Christ the Healer from F.F. Bosworth and, and made it palatable for everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it is. You can read Healing the Sick, and he quotes F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth and Christ the Healer over and over and over in this book. But Christ the Healer, in the book itself, down along the sides, in the margin, is all the scripture references where it's just a very scholarly account of how healing is for everyone for today. Not for some, for everyone today. And so uh, these greats were uh, during that time, but... Uh, the gift of tongues, and it, it's the great divider. <laughs> it was divided tongues that came on them, and tongues has, in church history has been a great divider. But in, uh, William Seymour heard about Charles Parham, and a lady, a friend of Miss Farrow, a friend of, Parham, um, of uh, Seymour's, was in uh, Texas, and she met the Parhams. She was with the Parhams, however you say his name. The short story uh, Charles Parham started a school, and she wrote to Seymour and said, you need to come to this school because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got the evidence of speaking in tongues, likes in the book of Acts. And that's what William Seymour said. He said, I want that presence of God in my life like I see in the book of Acts. Like he said, this is what's supposed to be in the church. Amen. That's what he was hungry for. And he went, and the Jim Crow law was in effect at that time. So, uh, African-Americans and whites weren't supposed to congregate together because there was, it, was a, it was a law. There was racial tension. So Seymour actually sat outside the room and listened through a door to hear the teaching. That's hunger. That's faith. See, I want you to understand. There's several things I'm going to share, uh, but I want you to understand. Seymour knew there was a promise in the word that said, this is for every believer. He said, not just to you, but to all who believe that he'd pour out his spirit. Paul said, don't forbid anyone to speak in tongues. Now, this message today is not all about tongues, but it was a divining, divine appointment. And Seymour said, there's got to be the evidence of what the Bible says, that when the, uh, the disciples waited in the upper room, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And he said, I'm hungry for that. So he, he went to Texas. He heard the teaching, and he grabbed it by faith. And when he grabbed it by faith, he got a call saying, there's a church in California in Los Angeles. You should come. He came to California, shared this message, and got locked out of his church because he was preaching something he didn't yet have. He knew that there was an encounter with the Lord, an experience with the Lord that he was not yet personally walking in, but he did not discount the truth of the word. That's a word right there. That's a word right there. There's so many in the church today that we have written. If we really took everything out of the Bible that we, we say we believe, but we don't practice, that we don't walk out in faith, our Bibles would be a lot thinner. Amen. Amen. See, he, he said, this is in here. I know it's for us. Though I'm not experiencing it right now, that doesn't change it. I've seen people do the same thing in finances. I've seen people do the same thing in healing. 
I've seen people do the same thing in the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. They say, oh, yeah, I believe it's in the Bible. I believe it's true. But there's no hunger, no real faith in me to see it because, well, this happened. I was believing God for my finances, and this happened. So I don't, I don't do what the Bible says because I think that it didn't work for me. We do the same thing in healing. I prayed, and I didn't get healed, so it must not be God's will for me. That's not scriptural, but we'll base our belief on our experience, not on the truth of the word. Right? I'm not mad. I'm happy. And that's what he did. He he was teaching something that he had not yet experienced, but it did not negate the truth of what he was teaching. And he was hungry for it. But there was a group, there was a home that invited him in on Bray Street. And they started praying. They started believing God. And Seymour said that he was so hungry for God, he would just spend five to seven hours a day in prayer saying, God, I want what you have for me. See, that's not just desperation. That's not just hunger. That's a faith that says, God, if this is what you have for me, then I'm going for it. Amen. I believe what the Lord is doing in the earth right now is he is stirring people once again, to say, God, not just I can hope, I can be desperate, I can, I can believe, but God, by faith, I'm going to walk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put action to what I say I believe to see everything you say that we're supposed to see. That's what happened in, with, in 1906 with William Seymour. He went, and what happened is he was there, and he was hungry for it, and then he began to share and uh, the presence of the Lord fell, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of tongues. Now, what they were after is, yes, he wanted the gift of tongues, but what, if you read anything on Azusa, the heart of what it was was to know the love of God, to experience the love of God, and to share the love of God, because this is a gift from God. Amen. It's a gift from God, and they were hungry for it, and, and what drove people to Azusa was a hunger for God and a faith that says, not only could it happen, but it's going to happen for me. And I've seen in my life and I've seen in the life of many, that's the difference. That's the dividing line is that we can know something is true, but when faith arises in our heart from truth that we know and we quit saying that could happen and say that will happen. That's when faith is awakened on the inside. And no more do we say, well, I tried that healing thing and it didn't work. You say, no, I may have tried, but this time I'm going for it because I know it's the promise of God. He's not a man that he could lie. So it's mine. I will not be rejected because Jesus has already given it to me. Same thing in finances, same thing in every area of our lives. I believe God is saying it's time. Faith is there. It's not like there's a fresh outpouring of faith. It's there. It's been there all along. But we've allowed the lies of the enemy to lull us asleep. We've allowed the lies of the enemy and the experience of man, people we love and people that we respect, that we didn't see what we wanted to see in their lives. So we allowed their experience to go with our experience. And we just say, well, maybe that's not for me. But I believe God is stirring in the hearts of his people. I know Romans says that creation itself is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's us. That's the believers. Creation itself is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Waiting for those who say, I know I have the life of God on the inside of me. So Seymour, he went after that. And people from all over the world begin to go after that. And here's what's so amazing. God didn't just choose a handful to give it to. It was anyone that was hungry enough to say, by faith, I can have that because Jesus provided it. Not because someone else has it. So you can't base it on what I have. You can't, I mean, we can have heroes in the faith. Don't get me wrong. We can have people that we look up to and we go, man, if God did it through them, he's no respecter of person, so he can do it through me. But ultimately, the word of God has to be the place where we settle. Matthew 10, Jesus dealing with his disciples. Uh, You see this also in Luke chapter 9. But in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 1, it says, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, this word disciple here in verse 1, it literally means a disciple 
is a learner, one who follows both the teaching and the teacher. The word is used for the 12 and later for Christians in general. So this word disciples does not mean just the 12 apostles. Are you with me? He called the 12 to him, the disciples who follow the teaching and the teacher. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Why? Because Holy Spirit was going to come and live on the inside of us. Jesus is what? Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the exact representation of God. So a disciple doesn't just adhere to good teaching. They follow the teacher. So if we follow Jesus, our lives should look like Jesus. Paul said in Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? So it's not, there's not a problem with having heroes in the faith to, to look at someone and say, man, they took that at truth and they, they ran with it and God used it in their life and I respect that. God can use that to awaken you on the inside. But the reality is we're a disciple of Christ. When people get born again, I don't want to disciple them to me. I don't want to make them a Todd. I want them to make them a Christian. I want them to walk out what God's put on the inside. That's Christianity. Christianity is not trying to get from God. It's walking out what God's already placed on the inside of us. And it's, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. And I haven't lost track of what we've been talking about. I know we were talking about supernatural ministry, and we're supposed to, we've been talking about our core values. There's five of them, and it's taken us about three or four months to get through them. Not us, me. I know. It's me. But this gift of God is the very empowering. Everywhere, listen, <laughs> this is so good. Everywhere you see people filled with the Spirit of God, not man, the Spirit of God. There is an outpouring of love. There's an outpouring of power. There's an outpouring of presence of God. Because people are spiritually awakened that I'm not just a little pilgrim passing through. That I'm a son of God carrying the kingdom of God that changes the world around me. And that kingdom in and of itself is fueled and powered by love. So we don't go out just to make an expression or a demonstration. We go out to lavish the love of the Father on people. And as we do, power shows up. These people that gathered in 1905 and 1906, they had such a love for God. They said, I don't want to do without anything God has said is mine. That's exciting. One of my heroes in the faith is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman in Chicago. And I don't know who to attribute the, the, who he was talking with, but D.L. Moody and, and someone was walking down the road. And this gentleman said to D.L. Moody, it's yet to be seen what God could do with a person who's totally sold out to him. And D.L. Moody stopped. And he, sold, he told him, he said, I'm going to be that guy. D.L. Moody, uh, an uneducated, non-theological uh, School of Theology trained shoe salesman was one of the most powerful evangelists that ever hit our country. His ushers were the most trained, uh, the, the best ushers. Account. They, could, they could seat thousands of people in minutes. D.L. Moody's meetings, they would have ushers outside, and when people would come, they would ask him, are you a Christian? they say, yes. they say, please step aside. We don't have room for you. That's the power of God that was on the meetings that the sinners were wanting to come and experience. This man in D.L. Moody attributes it all to an encounter he had with God when his power and his presence so filled his heart that the love of God came out of him and he had to share wherever he went. So I don't want you to think that this Azusa that we're praying for is just we want craziness and we want tongues and we want people falling out and screaming and running and all that. That may happen. But what we're saying is, God, we want to be so baptized in your love that we literally become a flame and a torch for you. That people gather around just to see what's on fire. That we be a flame with the love of God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples. He gave them power over unclean spirits. Look, verse 2. <clears throat> now the names of the 12, well, I'm not going to read all those. 
Let's go to verse 5. You can read those later. It's the 12. He named them there. Verse 5. Then Jesus sent out the... Then these 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay. You go, wait a minute, Jesus stopped and talked to a Samaritan. Well, you have to understand, in Matthew chapter 10, in context, some of the stuff that I'm going to share today, some of the stuff I'm going to read is Jesus specifically talking to his disciples and the Jews of that day. Are you with me? Everybody look at me. I'm going to make sure I don't, want to, I don't want to take a walk by myself. I want people with me today. So there are things that he says there, like when he said, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. That's not relevant to us today because Jesus died for everyone. This was going on in that day. He was saying, we, the reason is because Israel had to reject Jesus so that he could extend, so God could extend his hand to us. They had to reject Jesus so that we could be accepted. Sounds confusing. It's just true. So he said, here's who I want you to go to. Then verse 7, he says, as you go. But isn't it amazing? Jesus called the 12 to him. He empowers them. Sounds kind of like Pentecost, right? Yes, it does. Thank you. Thank you. He empowers them, and when he empowered them, what was the next thing he told them to do? He said, go. Go out into the streets. Now that you have power, go. So if we say power is a leading, that power is a leading uh, influencer in the body of Christ going, I would say it's easy to say that there's a need of power in the body of Christ. We've got a lot of coming, but not a lot of going. We come together. We fellowship together. We come to church. We worship in church. But the power of God is to get us outside of the church, outside of our house, outside of our desk, outside of our grocery cart. Help me, Jesus. It's me and you. No, I'm just kidding. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is here. When you go, let people know that what's going on is this is heaven on earth. What you're encountering is the heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. Who's the king of heaven? Jesus. He said, I'm sending you out and the kingdom is near you. Verse 8. In case they didn't get it. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. (laughs) cast out demons. Look at this. What's the last part of that say? Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely you have received. Freely give. Jesus said, I'm giving this to you for the purpose of giving it away. That's good. See, the same is true today. God gives us his Holy Spirit for us to give him away. Not that we have to give our portion away. See, that's what's so good about God. We don't have to give ours away so that someone else can have. You know, I've heard people pray before, Lord, if you have to take it from me to give it to so-and-so, give it to them. But that's not who he is. He's, He's El Shaddai. He's more than enough. So he doesn't have to take from me to give to Josh. So what's so amazing about it is I give out, he pours more in. You can't outgive him in any area of your life. You cannot outgive him in any area of your life. As you give out, you become that river. And as you're flowing, as the river's flowing through you, it gets on you, it comes out of you, and it affects those around you. He goes and he tells them about the journey. Uh, verse 12, as you go into a house household greet it if the household is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it's not worthy let your your peace return to you so what he's saying is not everybody's going to receive you not everybody's going to accept you and whoever you will will not receive you and hear your words when you depart from the house or city 
Shake off the dust from your feet. Now listen, I believe what God is saying here is this, that as you get excited, anybody ever been excited about something and pumped up all your balloons and somebody just came by with a pen and popped them? Sorry, despicable me just popped in my head. <laughs> you know, you get excited and you, you, you're having a parade and somebody just comes by and just rains all over your parade. So what he's saying is don't carry that. Don't carry that. Just knock it off. And that's what's so sad. I believe there are people in this room, in the body of Christ, that have the power of God on the inside of them, but they're carrying stuff they shouldn't be carrying. They're carrying rejection from, well, I tried that and it didn't work, or they're carrying rejection. When I, tried, I was trying to love on somebody and they just shut me down. Jesus said, when that happens, just shake the dust off your feet. Don't let it rob your peace. You stay in peace. You stay in peace. No, you're the only one who can give your peace away. Amen. Uh, let me see. Verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you to the councils and... Uh, and scourge you in their synagogues. Again, I said some of this stuff, it's not, I'm not saying we won't see persecution, but he was being very specific with what they were walking in right then. He said, be un- understand that this message is not going to be received by everyone. And I'll tell you today, this message is not going to be received by everyone. There's, there's some very parallel subject, I mean, f- parallel truth in this passage because there are many people who've been scourged. They haven't been physically scourged, but they've been beat down and talked about in the synagogue or the church because they preached truth and people didn't want to hear it. That'll happen. But what he's saying is, it's okay. It's going to happen. Let's continue. Uh, You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Verse 20, I love this. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And he goes on to say here, and I'm reading all this because I want you to understand, I think if we look at what does revival look like, we would say it looks exactly like what the 12 are doing. They're walking in the love of God, the power of God, and they're demonstrating it. They're healing the sick. They're raising the dead. They're casting out devils. They're healing leprosy. Real life issues. They're dealing with those real life issues. That looks a lot like, wouldn't you say, if that every Sunday you came here and there was somebody being raised from the dead, there was sick being healed, blind eyes were opening, you would say, this might seem a little bit like a revival or an awakening. Right? That wouldn't be a stretch, would it? If you came in, they rolled a guy in that was dead, flatline, cold, hard. And we spoke to him, and life came in. He sat up and started talking. Some of you would have a revival. Some of you would have a mess. <laughs> so I would say, in the context of what's going on in this passage, it looks a lot like what we call revival, right? And he said, it's not you who speaks, it's this father who speaks through you. Now look at verse 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child and child will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And, when you, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Hallelujah. <laughs> the priest said every week, right? No, but what's he saying? And here's what I see. In Azusa, in true awakening, there's a unification and there's a division all at the same time. Those who are hungry and who say, God, I want you. I don't want a form of religion. I want you. There is, God will draw people together who aren't from the same social groups. They aren't from the same race. They aren't from the same denominations. He will draw them together out of a faith and a hunger to say, God, what I want is you more than anything else. And nothing else will satisfy. But in the, on the same side, there are those who say, nope, that's not what I want. 
who may have been your best good friend, been your brother, who will turn and walk away. Why? Because they don't understand. Because they're not at that place that they say, this is what I want. And it says, and that's what he's talking about here. There's brother who will deliver up brother who will say, they done lost their mind. Y'all probably have never had that said about you. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I've had people tell me they thought I was crazy. I know testimonies of others in here that people thought they was crazy, done lost their mind. I think it was Paul that said, if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. But when it comes to the Lord, I done lost my mind because <laughs> he's worthy. He's worthy. And what he's wanting to do is show the world. See, and this is where uh, it's real. It's very, very real. Is we begin to live from a place that it's not about us. And we go, God put something in me that cost him his son. And I've got to get it out. And there can be those who walk away. There can be those who don't understand. There can be those who say, I'm not where you are. And you know what we've got to do? We've got to love them. We've got to love them right where they are, and we've got to keep pursuing the one that's worthy. Verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. <clears throat> whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the, in the ear, preach on the housetop. Sounds like relationship, doesn't it? Sounds like communion with God. And do not fear those who kill the body, <clears throat> but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who, has, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are, you, are not two sparrows uh, sold for a copper coin, and one of them, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Thank you, Jesus. Increase, increase. <laughs> Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable, more, of more value than, any, than many sparrows. But listen, I want to go back to verse 28. He said, Do not fear those. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But fear the one who can kill both the soul, body and the soul. What he's saying is this. Don't reverence. Don't respect those who can kill your body over the reverence and the respect that you have for God. So what's that, what's that talking about? Heather, through prophetic utterance, talked about letting fear go. Letting fear go. Whatever it is, it's blocking back. I'm telling you, the number one hindrance in the majority of believers' lives is fear of man. What are they going to think? What could happen? What will happen if I do this? What will happen if I do that? And we, we live in the what if. Right? And he's saying, don't fear man. Don't fear man. Don't reverence man. So what are you talking about? So when we know God's prompted us, when we're somewhere and Holy Spirit starts stirring on the inside of us to say something, and immediately we go over, well, what, if they, what if this happens? Or what if I lose my job? Or what, what you've gone over into is fear of man. I'm just trying to make it simple. Uh, I'm, what ha what's happened is fear of man has, has and that doesn't mean, listen, I don't want to, Throw anybody in the ditch. That doesn't mean you turn your job into your ministry where you preach to everybody all the time and don't do your job. That's not pleasing to the Lord. You're there to do something. You're getting paid to do something. But when God opens the door and gives opportunity, you share. Don't be afraid of man. He said, don't have reverence of man over reverence of God. That's what he's talking about here. Who's he talking to? His 12, right when he's sending them out, right? Therefore, whoever confesses me before, the, before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> do not think, listen to this, do not think that I've come to bring, bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, 
and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. What's he saying? Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds me will lose, uh, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives me and he who receives, I'm sorry, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm empowering you to do stuff. That, I mean, the whole world was turned upside down when Jesus was on the earth. Because what he was doing, what he was walking in. They said, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anybody teach with authority like he does. He'd go in a synagogue and a, a demon manifests and Jesus tells it to shut up and get out. And they go, we've never seen this. We've heard, we've heard the word taught all our lives. We've never seen anything like this before. A man with a withered hand, Jesus says, stretch out your hand in the synagogue on a Sunday. I mean, on a Saturday, a Sabbath day. Stretch out your hand. The man stretches out his hand. They go, we don't understand this. Let's kill him. I mean, that's what they said. We don't understand. This is freaking me out. Kill him. Get rid of him. I don't understand. And I don't like not understanding because it makes me uncomfortable. So instead of in encountering someone who's doing something I've never encountered before in my life, I'd rather just get him out. When he went over to the, uh, the Gadarenes and the demoniac that was there that was naked, they couldn't even chain him. Everybody knew who he was, Right? Yes, they did. They knew who he was. Jesus cast the, the demon out, the demons out of the man. The man's in his right mind. And the people of the area say it, he cast the demons into the pigs. And they run down the hill. They lost the whole business. Business just went downhill. <laughs> Literally. Jumped in the water. The pigs killed themselves. And the people of the area, instead of looking how, that God had delivered somebody, the people of the area said, get him out of here. Get him out of here. So why are you saying all this? Man, this is heavy. Because God has put in my heart faith for a real awakening. For not church as usual, but a real awakening. And I have no idea what it's going to look like because throughout church history, here's what I know. Every time they thought they knew what it was going to look like, it looked different. Every revival looked different, but what it was the same in every one of them was a group of people who said, God, I want you more than I want anything else. I'm hungry for you. I know it's the promise and I won't do without. I'll not be denied because you haven't denied me. And as they pursued him and pressed into him, it always looks different. That's why Jesus taught, we need new wineskins. We need new wineskins. Why? Because new wine expands. An old wineskin is shrunk, shrunken and hard because the wine's not fermenting anymore. It's not expanding. It's not stretching. So it can hold what's in it. But if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it's going to bust. And Jesus said, if you do, both will be lost, the wine and the wineskin. So when God starts stirring hearts, he's saying, I want to give you a new wineskin. Because the one you're in is good. It's held the wine. But the wine I'm going to put in is expanding. And it's a wine for you to give away. So you're going to have to have something that expands because the more you give away, the more I'm going to put in. And the Lord is so good because he meets us right where we're at. And we start this journey with him right where we are. He said, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So when we, we say, God, I want what you want for my life, and I give it to you. I, that Romans 12, 1 and 2, that I present my body a living sacrifice, 
wholly acceptable. What? That I might prove, that I might demonstrate, that I might put on display for the world to see your good, acceptable, and perfect will. So that others looking on can see who God is. See, I'm convinced the world is still looking for Jesus. The lost has a problem with religion, but not with Jesus. Because religion is what we do according to what we believe. And because everybody believes a little differently. I mean, if we polled everybody in this room, I'm sure there's several different belief systems in this room. <gasps> Help me, Jesus. And our, what we do, see, religion uh, is bad only when it replaces relationship. But religion in and of itself literally means an outward expression of what I believe. My practice is according to what I believe. Are you with me? When someone's religion is how they, how they function according to what they believe. So that word, we've made it a bad word, but that word in and of itself is not bad except if you've exchanged it for true relationship to where what you want to do is express what you believe more than walk in relationship with God and, and invite other people in. Does that make sense? So God is saying, I've, I've brought you, like Esther, to the kingdom for such a time as this. And it's exciting because the whole world, the whole world at that time was changed because of this event that took place uh, in, in, Nove in uh, not November, in, two, in 1906. It's amazing because there was the whole awakening on the East Coast was directly tied to Azusa. So to, to kind of go back to the Azusa here and what that is, and uh, on April 9th, It'll be the 110th anniversary of, uh, our, yeah, anniversary of Azusa Street when the Spirit of God came in power and demonstration. And listen, here's what's so amazing. Denominational wall walls were down. Racial walls were down. They were breaking the law by coming together, but they didn't care. They came together because the love of God was so full and so rich on the inside of them that they said, I've got to have it no matter what it costs. You know, listen, I love you. I love our church, and that's why I'm sharing this today. Because what I see in America is we've gotten so comfortable in our belief system. We love God, and we want to love God as long as it doesn't get uncomfortable. We, we love God, and we want to love God as long as it doesn't cost us something. And that's not everybody. I'm not saying it is. I, that's not a condemnatory statement. That's, I'm not saying that. In, uh, for any other reason other than saying that when we look at Scripture, we see that what he wants to put in is much greater than anything we're holding on to right now. But we've got to be willing to let go of this so that we can grab what he has. And it, there's the unknown, and there's, there's fear in the unknown if you're looking for answers in what you can see many times in the process. So... Denominational lines, all these things were just eradicated during this period. The presence of the Lord was there. And there was a man from Dunn, North Carolina, called G. B. his name was G.B. Cashwell. And he, he heard about what was going on in Azusa through some of the writings that were coming out. And he said, I've got to go see. See, this is, listen, this isn't just hunger. This isn't just desperation. This is faith. Because what I'm telling you, there was a word given a few months ago back by Patricia King. It talked about the, the key that unlocks the door of revival in this day is going to be faith. It's not hope. It's not desperation. It's not desire. It's, it's faith-filled prayers. So this man, G.B. Cashwell, heard about what was going on in California, borrowed money for a one-way train ticket. He said, that sounds like God, and I've got to have it. He had a one-way train ticket, one suit. And he went to Azusa Street. The first night he gets there, he walks in. He's a white man. He walks in. He's in the service. He sees what's going on in the service. The presence of the Lord is unbelievable. And this uh, black man, African-American man, walks up to him, puts his hand on him, says, I want to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. He's offended and walks out. I'm going to be real. Because that's what it takes if, we, if we're really going after God. He went back to his hotel room, discouraged. He didn't have money to get home. It wasn't like he could just go home. He didn't have money to go home. He had a one-way ticket. And he said, that night, the, I was crucified to the Lord. 
And the Lord showed me how prejudiced I was. The next night, he went back, went up to William Seymour, who's a black man, and said, will you and some of these young black people please lay hands on me that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit? They laid hands on him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, I think went out in the presence of the Lord. When he got up, William Seymour took up an offering, said, I want to take up an offering for this young man so he can get back home and take what he's got there, and took up enough offering, and he bought him a new suit. He went back with a new suit. Came back to North Carolina and started sharing in the churches that he had relationship with. And those churches caught on fire. He rented a three-story, I think it was tobacco warehouse. Thousands would come every night. They were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The whole East Coast. It was called Azusa East. The... the reality, the full gospel, the charismatic, the Pentecostal, whatever t- label you want to put on it. This whole East Coast is because somebody from, was ca- caught on fire because someone from North Carolina said, I just can't hear about it. I just can't hear about it. That's what's risen on the inside of me. I've believed in the past. I've prayed in the past, I've read the general, God's generals. I've read about the men who did it in the past. And now I'm saying, God, what if this little church called the river is the one that could set the whole East Coast on fire? Not because it's our thing. We won't do it alone. We're not, Azusa here is not our thing. There's going to be other pastors. There's going to be other people from business, uh, biz, from the business realm. Because it's not just going to affect. See, true awakening doesn't just affect the church. It starts there. Why? Because there's a group of people who say, God, I want it and I'll pay the price to go after it. And then, it, you know what? In Matthew chapter 10, we read it. When Jesus called them, he said, I'm giving you this power. What did they do? Go. Thank you, Joyce. They went. So... I, I know he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. I know that God is saying, I am ready for you to awaken to who I am, afresh and anew. And here's, hear my heart. It's not saying that where we've been is wrong. He's saying, I'm, I'm calling you up higher. I'm calling you into a new place. That's what I believe. He's saying, I'm calling you into a new place of encounter, a new place of experience, a new place of power that maybe you've touched, but you've not walked in. I'm calling you in. So as I was praying about that, and you know, even how do we do this? Because I told him, I said, Lord, this is bigger than me. He said, good, finally somewhere I can partner with you. <laughs> and uh, I believe that this Azusa here is to be an awakening to the person of Jesus, the presence of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not one or the other, but all of them. The person of Jesus and his love. Every time, listen, every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he moved. I can't own that. That was Chris Walton who I heard that from, but it's still good. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, he moved. Does that make sense? So every time he felt the spirit of God and the compassion and the love of God stirring on the inside of him, there was a place that he released that. Isn't that exciting? That's, that's what I'm hungry for. That's what Matthew is an expression. Again, verse 8, heal the, sick, clean, clean, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. In Luke chapter 9, I'm not going to read all this, but in Luke chapter 9, it's another account. It's the same account, but it's Luke's uh, uh, account of Jesus sending out the 12. Verse 6. So it, in Matthew, he said, go. It says, so they went. But here in Luke chapter, I mean, Luke chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What's the gospel? It's good news. So the gospel is not just uh, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. 
No, the good news is this. Jesus paid the price for you to be in relationship with him. And that no matter what position you're in right now, what state of life you're in right now, there's room for change. And he's calling us and inviting us into it. That's exciting. That's exciting. So the uh, Azusa here that we're believing for, it's not because it was Azusa. I just believe it was, this is a time that God's saying, I have a stirring among people. There's a stirring on people. As the world gets darker, the, the light shines brighter. Smith Wigglesworth, amazing man, I think had, I don't know how many, several confirmed raisings from the dead. <laughs> There's so much I could say about him. 14? 14 confirmed. And when I say confirmed, I mean that's like medical reports, coroner, <coughs> coroner reports that this person is dead. He had faith for it. I mean, there's one account of him going in a funeral home, picking a guy up out of a casket, put him against the wall and said, live. He let go of the guy and he fell down. Most of us would have taken that as a place to exit. (laughs) I'm just being straight. Grabbed him, picked him up, shoved him against the wall again, said, I said, live. He fell down again. People began to mock him, tell him, get out of here, you madman. He said, I know my business, you tend to yours. Picked the man up the third time, shoved him against the wall, said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, live. And the man went, <gasps> Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. He did some amazing things in his meetings. He got ridiculed quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit. He kicked a baby one time. Baby had a big tumor on it. He kicked the baby. When they caught the baby, the tumor was gone. I'm serious. This man, they thought he was nuts. But he, I mean, he, he would get from a word of knowledge and he would do it. So don't go out kicking babies and picking up dead people. But in, in Matthew, I read, let me say this, I'm going to close. In Matthew chapter 10, he said this. It was in the context of what I read. He said, he receives a, receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's, a prophet's reward. Smith Wigglesworth prophesied 110 years ago. He said, I believe that in 110 years, there'll be a revival bigger than this one will sweep across the world. 110 years ago, he prophesied that. One last prophecy, and I'll close. And I want you to understand, before I knew these things, and before I had really read up on Azusa Street and all this, God had birthed in my heart and given me faith, saying, I want to do... What happened at Azusa, I want to do here. I didn't know about G.B. Cashwell. I didn't know about Azusa East. I didn't know about any of that. I didn't know about Smith Wigglesworth's word. I had, but as I pressed into him, he began to reveal more and more. And one of the things that was really a defining moment with me is Patricia King, who I was told that her ministry is out of North Carolina now. Uh, but anyway, she gave a word, and, and she's the one who gave the word that I, met, I mentioned earlier. Uh, prophesied that the, this move of God that's going to come, it's not by desperation or hope or hunger. It comes by faith-filled prayers. People saying, not this could happen, but God, this is your will to happen, and I have faith for it to happen. In the midst of, of me pursuing and, and questions I had in my head, that word came forth uh, from Patricia King as well. And the key scripture that she used was Ezekiel 47. You say, what is that significance? That's what this church is founded on. This is Ezekiel 47, <laughs> verse 9. He said, there was a river that went out of the house of God. It went out. It was knee deep, waist deep. It was knee, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Then it was so that he had to swim. You know what that is? That's a place where you're not in control. And it said, everywhere the river went, there was healing. There was life. It said that the river turned the bitter waters sweet everywhere the river went. I, I don't believe that was coincidental. Uh, it was the Lord just saying, Todd, here's what I want to do. Can you partner? Did it scare me? Absolutely. In the natural, it did because I don't know what that looks like. But in my heart, 
there's such faith that God says, Todd, I'm a good, good, I'm a good, good father. What I want to do in you and what I want to do through the river and what I want to do in this region is greater than anything you can imagine. Greater than anything you can imagine. Will you trust me? So I'm telling you, church, I believe that God has us on the edge of something so much bigger than us. And it's not just about the river. It's open to whosoever will. But I believe that he said, I'm doing something in you that's going to be a sign and a wonder to the world around you. Why? What's the purpose of all this? So that we can be known, so that we can grow. It's so that Jesus can get what he paid for. So that the lost can hear the good news. Because if you look at Acts chapter 2, the result of them being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out is that they went out and people were getting saved everywhere. They turned the world upside down. It was even said that in the scripture. These are those that turned the whole world upside down. That's pretty awesome, huh? That's pretty amazing. So what they were saying, these are the ones that turn what we know to be true upside down to look something totally different. And just think, God wants to use us to do that. Not us exclusively, but inclusively. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. And I, I do believe that there are those people who say yes to the divine timing of God, just like G.B. Cashwell, who said, I'll go to California. I'll take out a loan to go. And the whole East Coast, the Assembly of God, the Church of God, the Pentecostal Church, everything was directly related and affected by that one man's obedience to go and do what he felt God telling him to do. And I'm just saying, my question to us is not just corporately, but individually. Man, as I say yes, not if I say yes, because I'm believing. As I say yes, what's my world going to look like? And if fear comes in, there's a lack of love. Because perfect love casts out fear. So it's that place we need to go back into love and go, Jesus, what is it you're wanting to do? I want to see you. And that's why I said, I believe that this awakening is to the person of Jesus, that, that the world gets to see who Jesus really is. That he is the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever.